We are the tribe from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the big sky conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. Welcome back, Drive to the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandals affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, joined today, as always, by Dallas Hammer. Dallas, how's it going, Spokane? It is fantastic. It has finally set in to me that the Rams are Super Bowl 56 champions. I'm wearing the official hat with the, the logo on the side of it. And the, the 20 years I spent watching the Rams be terrible has taught me one thing. All, all that matters is hiring the right coaching staff. If you get the right coaching staff in, the sky is the limit. That might be a little bit of foreshadowing. See, I was going to go with the word teaser, but uh, we'll, we'll move. Martin, you're one of two people live from Moscow, to my mm-hmm. knowledge. Martin, how's it going in your neck of the woods? I'm doing good. Just it was soaking wet right now. They just got out of a little bit of a rainstorm, a little bit of a, a lot of rain right now. I'm feeling pretty good after another solid week of basketball, right? After a solid week from the girls' team, the women's team this past week. Nice correction on the basketball one, Martin. And look, guys, we're not going to filibuster much longer. We have a special guest for the first half, two thirds of the show. Defensive coordinator Rob Orich is the other guy live from Moscow. Coach Orich. Is that your office? This is my office. I got the uh, practice field in the background. You know, royalty around here. We got we got real lucky. I got some windows. We're ready to roll. Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed was other than you, and that looks like Pride Gold Idaho uh, apparel, which means yeah, you have new stuff, which our listeners will have no idea about, but now they do. I see the windows, and I see the fluorescent light. But we're done with our decor deep dive. That We'll go further into that later in the show. We're going to jump right into interview. This is uh, Around the Bar brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. And Rob, I want to start. Sorry, Coach Oris, Rob, whatever. I'm, I'm guessing you're fine with both because I have not Rob, been yelled Rob at. is great. Go with it. Okay. We're going to go with Rob. Yeah. So to start off, I just want to take about 10 seconds, go through your background, and then get a quick re- – get you to give us a quick explanation of you getting to Moscow. Cause your, your coaching background is actually a little bit different than a handful of guys on the staff or previous staffs in that, I mean, look, you, you have the background of you played football, you earned a national, you were part of a national championship team at Minnesota Duluth as a player in 2008. You were a grad assistant 2010 when Minnesota Duluth won another championship, correct? No, I was a, I was the captain of that team. So I was actually, I have, I have two as a player. Two as a player? Yep. Then we need to yell at the South Dakota, South Dakota University for having that reference as a non-player one. But uh, well, this is not a South Dakota podcast. Then you jumped from, so you, you went from a player to non-coaching yep. account executive, yep. which I can say definitively, you are probably this show's favorite former account executive turned football coach that we're aware of. So congrats. Feel good about it. From, you know, I thought you would. And from there, you're coaching at Bemidji State from 2014, 2017. You're defense coordinator 2017. Yes. 2018, you go over to South Dakota. You're at South Dakota from 2018, 2021. 
your defense coordinator and inside linebackers coach over there. Yep. And then now rolls around, you come in, you're part of Jason next staff, University of Idaho. What was, so what was the process like of your, look, South Dakota's season ends on November 27th in a first round playoff loss to Southern Illinois. And in not too long, you join Idaho staff. So question when did Co- Coach Jason Neck first contact you, and what was your thought process in going from a, a pretty good, you know, South Dakota just made the playoffs, that's a pretty good program, yeah. to coming over to Idaho? Well, it's interesting. And so I, I got a chance to kind of come of age here in the in the Missouri Valley, uh, which Bat and the Big Sky are the two best conferences in America when it comes to FCS football. And, you know, our rival was South Dakota State. And – uh Jason Nack, very much, I think, was the heart and soul of that program. And so we had an opportunity to compete against each other for three, four years. And uh, we were lucky enough to win a game or two against them. And that's probably one of the reasons why I'm sitting here in this seat. Um, We had a really good brand of defense uh, that was focused on not giving up explosives and able to halter the run against them, probably better than most teams have. And um, I knew who he was. We had a, a mutual connection. And so two guys that I worked with previously at Bemidji State, um, which is a great D2 school in northern uh, Minnesota, worked with Jason at South Dakota State. And so I'm sure they they said, spoke highly of me and vice versa. And so when Jason was looking to put together his staff, he knew the brand of defense he was looking for, and he knew the type of a guy I am. And I consider myself a little bit of a blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth gentleman just like him. And so we were compatible that way. We, we believe in the same principles of football. And before we get into some questions, we had a ton of listener submissions regarding the upcoming season to the extent you, of course, can talk about it because, of course, sure. spring practice hasn't even started yet. But the last background question before we jump over, every coach I've ever talked to and I've ever read about usually has at least one kind of keystone mentor that they'd say, look, this is a guy who was really influential in me becoming a coach. And this is a guy who I try to model a lot of what I do after. Who is that keystone guy, that mentor that you consider most influential in your style and your approach? Uh, Brian, that's a really good question. And um, I was up in Coeur d'Alene this week and giving a talk about a fire zone pressure based away from the back. That's not the point. Um, But the thing that is the point is, I think coaches' journeys are interesting how they navigate to their destination. And I, when I was at or, uh, the University of Minnesota Duluth as a player, I played for this man named John Stagger, Stegosaurus. Just he, he's your best friend and would get after you the next minute, but you knew it was love. And he was able to kind of balance both sides of that, being your guy and then being someone that's going to light a fire underneath your butt. And uh, John was that guy for me. And John was an exceptional football mind. And talking about coming from his football tree, um, when I first got into coaching, uh, you know, I was a consultant for a company that was doing import and export compliance. Me and my wife had a, had a condo in Chicago. We were living that bougie life. And football was talking in the background, like, come back, Rob. We need you. I need you. And so proposed to my wife um, while making a great salary in Chicago and then like a month into our engagement, I'm like, hey, I want to go make 10K as a graduate assistant, as a football coach. So I trapped her. And so uh, which is great. And but when I first got into coaching, um, a guy I would go see right away was Tyler Yelk, our safeties coach. 
And Tyler and I played together um, for three years. And he was a captain when I was a sophomore. We won the national title together. And he's had this journey of coaching that's kind of led us together. And so he was the first guy I went to and soaked up his knowledge. And now we get a chance to work together and shoot, man. It's been a hell of a time so far. Again, guys, we're here. We're here with Coach Rob Orich of the Idaho Vandals, the new defensive coordinator. A lot of these questions that are going to be asked have been sent to us from our Patreons. Again, patreon.com backslash tubs at the club if you're interested in signing up and getting your chance to ask some of these questions. Uh, one of the first things we had from our listeners, Coach, and I'm going to keep calling you Coach. I know you said Rob, and I, I'm going to keep calling you Coach, and I'm trying to Please, stop. And I said, whatever you want, brother. So, uh, what scheme are you running? What are going to, going to be the tenets of this new era of Vandal defense? Yeah, I, it's funny, you know, at South Dakota, we played a bunch of different fronts and um, a lot of people build their defense um, front to back. And we're actually a little opposite in our approach. Um, our, our first objective is, you know, we really live by three principles. Number one, we're going to eliminate explosives. Explosives get you beat. The Vandals can't beat the Vandals. It's our job to force the opposing offensive coordinator and the opposing quarterback to be better than us. It's not our job to make their life easy. We're not going to allow cheapies. And secondly, uh, in the Missouri Valley, if you hold your opponent under 3.5 yards rushing uh, per carry, you win about 85% of your games. And so, you know, I'm working with Coach Eck and Coach Sleisner here that they averaged about six yards a carry last year at South Dakota State. You know, I, I'm, I'm in on that math. You know, if we can keep them below 3.5 and they can run for six, we're going to be a bully of a football team. And so uh, really believe in that. And then lastly, we're, we're going to pursue and tackle like the quality of a of an FBS, a quality of an NFL level program. We believe in those principles and, and that's kind of what we built our house around. And if you look at us structurally from how we're set up, you know, we're we're a reduced three, four. We're a field under team um, playing variations of quarters. And then when we get after quarterbacks, it's not just cover zero, take risky shots. You know, we're a bunch of simulated pressure ways to bring four and bring four from different angles and still play seven in coverage. Um, we're going to go up about it from a way of both being aggressive and sound, but we're going to use some math in our favor too. We're not going to be a bunch of dummies out there. It's not 1985. You know, we're going to have an analytical approach to this game. Love it. Uh, follow-up question from one of our listeners. Uh, I think you kind of already answered it there, but how aggressive are your defensive play calls going to be? Yeah, so you, you talk about aggressiveness. Aggressiveness doesn't mean that we're gonna we're gonna bring six or seven all the time and leave our DBs out there to have, give up explosives. Aggressiveness is taking your shot when the, the time is right. And so, you know, we'll bring five and six. We're gonna get after quarterbacks now, um, but we're gonna do it in a way that that we believe the math is in our advantage. Now, no way am I saying, hey, I'm not gonna get after a quarterback, bring five or a twist up and get after him third down because we are, but. You know, I'm going to do it with a little bit of logic and a little bit of sense. Got it. Uh, one last question for you, Rob, then I'll kick it back over to Brian. Uh, the the Obviously, the previous defense was was primarily 3-4. Uh, that front seven was kind of the the strongest tenant of the Vandal team for, for the last few seasons. But a lot of guys have left. A lot of guys graduated. How are you approaching kind of reconstructing that front seven where so many guys did graduate out of the program? Yeah, so I, I think what's interesting is, you know, we're, we're coaching this defense that, you know, we have three returning starters, okay? And we're coming in and we're, we're showing them a bunch of South Dakota film, 
some Iowa film, some Temple film from where our staff's been. And there's this like blend of theirs and ours. And the first thing we had to do is say, squash all that. It's not Vandal defense. It's not South Dakota defense. It's our defense. And so, and when I say our defense, it's the guys in the room. And as much as I love having the eye in the chest, my number one objective is to build a team in that unit, in that room. And so um, it's not last year's defense. You know, it's not Petrino's or Bresky's or whoever it was. Um, and eight of those 11 stars are gone. We're going to do it with the guys we have. Now, have we been able to add some really good pieces here through mid-year recruiting and through, uh, through our freshman class? Yeah. And, you know, we're still going to evaluate this roster through the spring. But if you're sitting here with, a, with, an, with an eye on your helmet or, or grumpy Joe on your helmet, um, we're going to develop you this spring and develop these pieces. You also just touched on this to an extent, which is where I'm going to follow up. Uh, over the last few years, you, you already addressed, hey, this isn't the last few years, this new roster, we're going to have eight new starters. So yep. that is kind of an answer of how things will be different. But about five people asked this question. Over the last few years, Idaho's been somewhere between solid to good, depending on the year, against the run, but bottom of the league in passing defense. How how are you guys going to go about getting Idaho's pass defense out of the Big Sky's defensive seller. Yeah, so, you know, we we played two Big Sky teams last year. And we played Cal Poly and boat raced them early. And then we played uh, Northern Arizona and got after them pretty handily. And those were two teams that wanted to throw the ball around the yard. Um, our job was to make pictures really complex for the quarterback post-snap. And so a lot of teams are going to show all this stuff pre-snap and then really have a small menu post-snap. I'm going to do one or two things out of each look. You know, we're going to look really similar pre-snap, but we're going to give you a ton of stuff to have to deal with. And from a defensive philosophy, I need to keep the quarterback un uncomfortable. And so when that happens, they usually end up throwing the ball to us sometimes. And so if you're going to play a league that throws the, throws the ball around the yard, you got to generate some turnovers. And so if we can generate turnovers, minimize explosives, and get the ball back to our offense – we're going to have some good Saturdays. Um, for, so there, there's kind of how we handle it. Um, the other thing I think is really important here is there's talent in that, in that defensive backfield room right now. Uh, Marcus Harris, I've been really impressed with. Uh, the McCormick brothers at safety and nickel have been extremely impressive for us. Um, Jeremiah Salam's back. Uh, Warrior Noel, um, another kid I've been really impressed by. I think that's the strength of our defense. And so we're going to ask those guys to carry the load for us at times. You, you also kind of snagged half of this question with Shoot. the turnover comment, so I'm going to let you get the other half. So in what you've in, – in the time you've looked at last season's film, or, I mean, if you have, yeah. and in what you've now do with evaluating the talent you have returning, one of the problems I'd have had defensively last year is just not really forcing turnovers. You know, I already referenced pass defense, like our in-conference play we gave up 20 passing touchdowns and we picked off two passes. So what, what do you think, I mean, what do you think is you guys need to fix or going to fix that's going to at least make that ratio, not like one interception to 10 touchdowns so that we're a little bit more competitive in that regard. Yeah. So one thing I looked at last year's tape, and I don't want to get into evaluating their scheme because they're a good coaching staff, people and families, and they're going to do good things in the next chapter of their lives. Uh, but predictability in scheme. 
And so a lot of times I think when the quarterback gets really consistent pictures on looks, a great example of that is, you know, when teams generally align with the nickel inside the number two receiver and the safety on top, you usually get a variation of quarters. And then when you get the nickel outside the two receiver and the safety inside, you're getting a variation of one high defense. And so a lot of of defenses don't fool with those pictures pre-snap, and then they create predictable outcomes for the quarterback. And so our job is to be unpredictable that way. And so a lot, like I said, a lot of our stuff pre-snap looks the same, but believe me, it plays much different. And so uh, I think what you saw from us at South Dakota from turnover generation and at Bemidji State, I was number three in the country my last year as a coordinator there in turnover generation, number one in defensive touchdowns nationally. Um, I believe in that. I think we are going to force them. Um, Part of that is we got to be really good up front. You know, we got to get guys that can rush the passer a little bit without having to bring pressure. And so guys like Devontae Keys, who we added um, as a defensive end, and Kamari, uh, our, our weak side defensive end, they've been impressive so far, and we're going to rely on them to create some pressure. Before our next set of questions is going to transition a little bit more to both Springles and recruits. Since Jason Eck took over, Idaho lost at this point, I believe a total of three guys transferring out of the program, yep. which is, I mean, to, to me, my understanding is that's, that's pretty dang good continuity in particular with coaching staff changing over from your perspective and from your role, I guess what, what was your involvement in trying to maintain roster stability? Cause I'm under the impression if we only have three guys lose, leaves the roster, it's because broadly speaking, you guys want the core of the roster to, to be there. So what, I guess, how did you guys go about that specifically? What was your role in trying to maintain Idaho's core from last season? Yeah. And coach Jack has, has such a, a streamlined version of this, that, you know, it's following his leadership is anytime you take over an organization and you have a ton of transition with the, with the cap, the human capital, the skill, the talent, whatever it is, your employees, um, it, it makes it really hard to get things on track because you're dealing with a lot of, a lot of ins and outs and retraining and onboarding. You know, we wanted to come here and give these kids an honest chance to play, play ball for us. And so we don't, we don't know these kids as football players completely yet. Now we've seen the tape, but there's a lot of good young players that haven't played. And so everyone that's going to be on our roster is going to get developed this spring. And that's one thing that we believe is we, we think we can do a little bit more with less. And if we believe that, you know, maybe our, t- our roster isn't pound for pound as good as, let's say, Montana's or Eastern Washington's right now. And I'm not saying that. We believe we can develop a team that can still win winning football, um, whether it's through fundamental focus or through schematically creating some advantages. And defensively, as we go into spring, our, our number one job is to ID the core of this defense. Who are we going to rely on through the fall? and then get a real grasp of our defensive system. Because it's funny, we're, you know, we're, go, we're in OTAs right now. Our guys, our guys get a little bit of time with us a week to learn the defense. You know, I installed a bunch right away, and I forget that, you know, this is a completely new defense for them. And so as we go through our installation package now, it has to be digestible amounts and so concise. Um, and so we've kind of honed in on that as a defensive staff and, um, one thing I've been really impressed by is the way Stanley Franks 
um, our cornerbacks coach who, who's been here and kind of knows how this place runs has kind of shepherded that process. And our guys have seen him be an All-American, and now he's kind of returned to, to help with that process. I want to give him a lot of credit because the, the group that's probably the most mature on our football team right now is our corners, which that's pretty atypical for a college football team. It's not usually the corners. So, Coach, you, you've kind of hinted on a, a handful of different names, uh, but who's who's kind of impressed you the most out of the group of guys you've gotten to meet so far? Uh, obviously, you've kind of told us who, what group you feel best out, but are there any players you haven't called out or anything you've said you haven't said about this current staff of guys and what you think of them? Yeah, so there's two guys I haven't mentioned that I think are real dudes for us. Um, Favai Favai, um, our Will linebacker. So nice they named him twice. Uh, Favai has his own clothing brand. Uh, Favai has this diverse interest. I love this kid. And uh, I like the way he carries himself and goes about his business. He goes about like a pro. And those are the kids we've won with in the past. And I think his leadership, and not only from an emotional maturity standpoint, but it's on the field experience is going to be really important for us. And so for I a kid, if I could high five him right now, I would, uh, I'm in on the way he started this for us and I coach our backers and he's kind of been the leader of that group. Um, defensively, uh, the other two kids in the linebacker room I've liked so far, um, Hogan Hatton, um, hasn't played a ton in his career, was a long snapper, played some snaps last year. It's gone about his business the right way. And then we have two guys that are playing outside, uh, Sullivan Shannon, and then actually uh, Mujib Rufai, uh, who was playing receiver for us, and we transitioned over a backer. I've been really pleased with them so far. Um, and then up front, um, the guy that has really kind of shown out that he's a much better athlete probably than what we thought he would be when we first met him is Nate DeGraw. And so Nate DeGraw is a workhorse for us right now, and he's kind of setting the tone for us up front. He's the leader of that group. Um, been really impressed with him. Is there any uh, any freshmen or any newcomers that you you you've kind of got your eye on of like this is a, this is a guy who's gonna pl- gonna play and play some meaningful snaps for us? Yeah, so we we took we took two brothers from New Mexico, Ben and Matthias Bertram, and we took Ben as the scholarship kid and Matthias as really the walk on with him, and they they got a bad deal at New Mexico where COVID cut their scholarships from where they were, and they had to kind of find a place to play. And they were both on money there. I mean, they were both had really good film against Texas A&M and all the other big schools they were playing. Um, both those guys have come in, and uh, I've been really impressed with Matthias. Um, it's kind of the not really the tag along. I don't want to say it like that, but as the second piece of that of that brother uh, plan, he broad jumped ten four, one of the top three in our team, um, and he's really really smart in the way he processes ball. So those two, I've been really impressed with. I think you'll see their names called. So we've talked about all these guys that we're hoping to see, but obviously we're not going to get to see them for a while. Spring game is coming up. What can we expect to see in the spring game? And are we going to get to see first team versus first team? Because Idaho fans haven't seen that in a long time in the spring game. I think people are hoping for it. You guys are going to do your own thing, but I know there's a lot of us that are hoping to see, you know, best on best. Is that, is that something that's been a non-typical thing? They haven't played good on good? And I, for Idaho in the last, nine years at minimum nine years it's it's been for the entire spring game number one offense versus number two defense number one defense versus number two offense oh i we we haven't honestly talked through the format of the spring game but if i have anything to do with it which i do i guess i have some say um (laughs) let's get the boys playing let's get the boys playing down in boise 
get the fans out there, get the barbecue going, and uh, shoot, we'll have a good time. And I want to, I want to see our good, our our number one defense go up against number one offense because I want to see where the hell we're at too. It's an evaluation for us. Like, um, how are we going to stack up against a, a coaching staff that was just in the national semifinal? And related to spring football, this might surprise you. We get. I mean, I know in a lot of like football or like podcasts have media, like a pretty like brain dead questions, like, Hey, who's the quarterback? We get way more questions about the defense than I think a lot of places because that's, I been... don't believe you. I don't believe you. It's always about the quarterback. We, and the running back. If you need me to, well, we probably would need you to join our Patreon to add you to the only tubs discord. But if we need to send screen captures, we've got receipts, man. But, uh, Question for you about spring fo- spring football. What are your and the defensive staff in general? What are your goals for spring footballs, and what are you hoping to see? I know you already referenced. Yeah, kind of got to get a baseline out of it. But is there any more specificity? Yeah, it, it, it's pretty simple. Uh, n- number one, develop a complete grasp for our system. Um, you know, we may look simple on the field, but we're not. You know, we, our job is to make it simple for the players. Excuse me. Um, but we're, we're, we're kind of a, a son of a gun to prepare for, if you ask all, uh, different coordinators around the league. Uh, number two, we need to make sure that we are going to pursue and tackle the football at a high level because they did that at times last year. The plays they didn't, um, those were the explosives. Uh, Indiana, they had the tailback bottled up. The Will Backer lost leverage, bounced outside the corner, gave up an explosive. Should have been a no-yard game. We need to make sure that we're flawless from that. Um and then lastly, um, and I think the biggest core of me is, you know, we talk about dogs only in the defensive room right now. We got a bunch of wristbands on our guys and stuff like that. And obviously with the vandals, but why dogs only is we want to see, we got a lot of people trying to prove a spot right now. And we're not going to be able to travel a hundred kids to every game. When we go play in Pullman week one, who are the true dudes that are going to go compete for a spot? Cause it's wide open. And so we got to really develop our core and make sure we got the right guys on the bus. When I was at the signing day event in Coeur d'Alene, Jason Eck made, now I, I don't, I'm not saying he was signing this in blood, but he made a reference to probably having some guys in particular wide receivers that the guys who like, if you look at last year's roster would have been listed wide wide receivers that this year are probably going to be corners. Do, do you have any guys that you you can tell us are candidates to no. see on the defensive side of the ball that we didn't see on the For defensive sure. side last year? Yeah. Um, well, not, no real receivers. Trans- well, I guess we have moved some receivers. So um, a kid that we ID'd in workouts right away that we thought could help us um, was Majib Rufai, um, transferred from Boise a couple of years ago. I think he's uh, I think he's in his last year of eligibility now. It's, this kid is so sharp, man, so sharp. And he was a, he was a DB previously and went to go play receiver one reason or another, but athletically, he, athletically he's above the line for us. And we think he can help him help us on the field. So you're going to see him playing some nickel for us. He's playing outside linebacker. He's in my room. Um, and then we took a, a, a freshman kid named Cade Ledesma, uh, who's from California and has a great frame on him. He's long. Um, he's smart processes at a high level. Um, we took him from receiver and put him in the safety room. And so those are the two guys we've transitioned so far. Um, might be it, might not. I'm not really sure yet. we got to get to know the, step, the roster probably a little bit more still. Um, but those two guys we wouldn't move unless we truly believed in their ability to come across the line here and help us. 
And so they've been really good so far and pleased with their selflessness um, to help the ball club. The another question listeners had is a lot of Idaho's recent NF guys who play who are either playing the NFL or made like NFL practice squads from University of Idaho. A lot of those guys have been on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, You know, guys like, well, Caden Ellis plays for New Orleans. Christian Ellis had definitely been practice squad. I believe it was Vikings off the top of my head. Might have been Eagles for a little bit too. Uh, Trey Walker is, of course, a guy who we're fingers crossed, hoping he gets his name called. If his name is not called, he finds a roster spot somewhere. I think he definitely will. Of the – by the way, we we feel the same way. Of So you already referenced a couple guys who've kind of – who look like they could be leaders on the team. Are there any, any other guys who you see as maybe stepping up uh, by the way, Noah Ellis is the other name right now that fingers yeah. crossed. He's getting some, pub, he's getting some publicity for looking good in, he was in one of the all-star games. Plus he's, he's invited to the combine. Um, any guys on the current roster who look like they might have like the athletic tools to maybe be that next vandal who, when the 2020, uh, two or 23 draft comes around. We're wondering if their name's selected. Yeah. Um, I think right now, a lot of our guys look really good in short, shorts and a t-shirt. And that's kind of where we are right now. And I'm hesitant to kind of make that prediction. I want, I want to see these guys strike somebody uh, defensively before I put my name on, on anyone. Uh, but uh, I'm blanking on the kid's last name right now. We have a wide receiver named Therese. Uh, Therese Trainer. Therese Trainer and blank his last name. Sorry. Uh, I just call him Therese and he's the man. He's fun to be around. He has a great vibe about him. He's always smiling in the building. Um, watching his tape last year. Uh, when I took this job, I actually got texted about this kid from a couple guys I worked with previously that said, hey, this kid can really go. This kid can really play. And so I'm excited to compete against him in the spring. Um, I told him I got some stuff for him. He's like, coach, you can't handle this. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Therese is on. Which that you referenced a roster thing that I you might not know the answer to, but I, I have to ask you because I, I made a promise to a listener. Yep. The current roster needs to be updated. Who should we very politely email to ask to update the new roster? I uh so I'm not exactly sure who takes care of that in our building, but you got my word. Uh, I'll talk to the header tomorrow. I'll talk to talk to her OC slice. We'll uh, we'll get that we'll get that talk talk through, and what part of that is that you know we're transitioning a little bit some guys and you know as this process goes we don't want to transition someone and do all these updates but I think it's important to keep that accurate just probably the way you guys do um, the Vandal Faithful deserves to have a up to date roster um, and they're invested in football in this program the same way we are uh, we make no. We don't shy away from that. We understand how important this following is. And so um, we will get that address. So uh, appreciate it. Don't put a time limit on me like this. Don't call me out on the next episode and be like, hey, Coach Orch said he had it taken care of. Week later, it didn't happen. But I will don't, don't, I've got my notes down. You said it's your responsibility. It'll be taken care of tomorrow. We're good. <laughs> Perfect. Timestamp it. So I'm going to transition us to what I think most of us, our, our favorite segment is dumb questions. Uh, so a lot of this, you know, we've, we've got the football stuff out of the way. Now it's time for the fun stuff. What's your go-to order at the corner club? Oh, well, I, 
usually it's just there for a, a brief stop um, after uh, after a, a hard day work at the happy hour. But I get a tub, usually, of course. Now, I think I have to legally um, answer Coors because they are the official beer sponsor of Vandal Athletics, legally. I was going to make that comment, but you beat me to it. So, Light uh, or Yellow Jacket? Say that, say that again. Coors Light or Yellow Jacket? What's some people call it? Yellow Coors jacket. Light. I'm a, just some Midwest folk over here. We just drink light beer and live our lives. So another dumb question that we have been asked by many of our listeners how often do you remind Coach Eck about the Hail Mary in the 23-20 victory last season? Never. never. I, I try not to ever bring it up because <laughs> I enjoy my job. I enjoy the opportunity for my family. And so, uh, shoot, we just bought a house here in Moscow. So um, we're going to try not to not to piss off the Heather, that's for sure. But, no, we uh, on this conversation, um, we were coming back from CBA, Coeur d'Alene, uh, in the in the car, and – the things that coaches talk about all the time, it's not always technique or fundamentals. It's game management. And so um, that it was a really odd situation in that game, the way it went down. They executed their call. And it's funny, you know, there's eight seconds left in the game. And by their calculations, they could scramble around and, and end the clock by airing the ball out. And so they do this at their facility where they practice, where there's this ton of sideline room to get that executed. Well, we're in the dome at South Dakota and the, the seats are much closer. So their quarterback aired it out, but the landing great, like the grace area wasn't nearly as big. So it hit a seat and we got a second left. They executed it, but it's kind of, you know, the quarterback's gotta be aware of the situations there. And, you know, I was in the press box during that. And, you know, I was pissed off cause we we're about to lose a game, uh, especially to a rival that, whatever it's always it's always contentious in those rivalry games i'm sure you guys know and um we lucked out and so it was a it was a great day for for that situation a great learning lesson for for everyone as a coach for anybody that missed it the last question i was about to ask before kicking to brian was are you a moscow guy or a pullman guy we've got the answer it's moscow so we're two for two the coaching staff is off on the right foot yeah Ter terry told me i i legally had to live in moscow no she didn't um <laughs> uh, but i'll tell you what we had a the housing market here is no joke right now. And so uh, we're really blessed. Um, my wife got a job here with Gritman Health as well. And so she's running a, uh, a clinic out of town a little bit. Um, but we, uh, we're we happy we found the space to raise our two daughters. And, and we're excited about that. So we're, we're, we're over there off Wiltshire in that neck of the woods. So probably shouldn't give you too much information about where I live. <laughs> but, but we're over in that part of town. You are the first person who's given a street address. I don't mean coach. I mean, you're the first person who's given any, even like a street name reference. So, okay, first well, first. so if, if angry fans show up at the front yard, we'll, we'll, we'll have to handle them or something. And this is a great time to sit, to give just Stanley Frank's address for where the angry fans need to go. <laughs> but uh, the, I think you, you, I don't know if your answer is different here. When Idaho finally gets the goddamn little Brownstein back, What's your what's your drink? Uh, Keep you in mind, it, this is a special event. So, like, it, yeah. course, look, your go-to can be your special drink. That's fine, but yeah, the, we're I'm presuming I'm this probably, is special. I'm probably filling that that bad boy up with some bourbon, and so I'm I'm a bourbon guy when I venture down that path, um, and I enjoy it. 
my mom, I grew up with a mom who drank Jim Beam. So it's kind of in the bloodline. So um, that's probably how I would celebrate. And now I'm a bourbon guy. So I have to ask a follow-up question to maybe alienate yeah. 90% of our audience. Do you have a top, a, a potential top few selection you would, you might yeah. be choosing from? Um, now I, I try, I usually stay off top shelf and it just, you know, we're, we're balling on a budget over here. And um, so I, I enjoy bullet. I enjoy the rye from bullet. I enjoy makers. Um, and then, like I said, you know, I'll enjoy Jim Beam. It's part of the family tradition. Makers or makers 46? Makers 46. Okay, good answer. Yeah. Good answer. Makers 46. And pivoting because we, just in case we have people who are not uh, familiar with the bourbons, with the amount of time you have in Moscow, have you found, go, you've, have you found your go-to diner or your go-to restaurant on a night out? Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm here without my family. My family moves here this weekend. I, I fly back on Thursday to pack them up. And um, so I've got like, like a ton of time. Like you just go and eat with the guys. You work till eight, nine o'clock. There's not, we're kind of like in this weird camp mode right now. And um, I, I've been to tapped uh, probably more times than I care to admit. So I've been down that menu almost. Uh, really enjoyed that spot. It's been good. And then my go-to lunch spot in town, believe it or not, is the Moscow co or the Moscow Co-op. And they got a great little salad bar, everything like that. That's kind of my, my go-to lunch spot right now. That's, that's been my go-to breakfast spot. So that is like hearing the lunch is surprising, but I is it back to normal-ish? Well, you weren't yeah, here prior, yeah. but like it, it looks like a normal hot bar now. Yeah, the vibe's back. The hot bar is back. Okay. We're getting it done. Okay, this is, I'm going to ask you to pretend you're not a coach, and um, I'm going to ask you to pretend you are here to uh, analyze or to uh, tell us, give us a prognosis of the Idaho fan base. Cool. Based off the fans you have met, based off what you're aware of Idaho's, you know, basic history, Yeah. how would... Um, how would you describe the fan base boat and please go whatever route you want, whether you, you have neuroses that you think we need to know about, which we do, or whether uh, you want to, you know, hit the excitement end. I honestly do both. If you're, if I'm asking, but yeah. what's your, with your interactions with Idaho fan base, how do you, how do you interpret them so far? Yeah. So I've, I've met a lot of invested people in the program. And so we've been at all these signing day events and, and a few fundraisers so far and a few clinics. You guys deserve a winner. And it, you look back at the 80s and you know, I've talked to some great alumni here um, that were up here from Boise a couple weeks ago. And they talked about how basically spoiled they were uh, in the 80s. They had 13 straight years where they where they beat the uh, where they beat Boise State. Um, you guys deserve that. And this community and, and the Kibbe and kind of the legacy it has. We got to get that back on track. And uh, I, I don't make any guarantees because it's whatever, you know, this profession, but you're going to get our best. And so um, Coach Jack and myself and the rest of our staff, um, we're dedicated to making that happen. And so it's important to us. And so you're going to get my very best with everything I do. So um, I'm not here to sit on a pontoon boat and go hiking. And it, I'm, I'm here to go to work and get some W's on the board. Speaking of pontoon boat and hiking, we have messages for our listeners in a minute, but I do have one last question for you, Coach. For sure. Better dome, Dakota Dome or Kibby Dome? Kibby. Kibby's bigger. It's nicer. It's a better vibe. You get natural light. Uh, I had a, I saw a great tweet during the Super Bowl 
that the Kitty Dome had to walk so SoFi Stadium could run. And uh, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it, man. And uh, uh, Kibby's great. And I think you look at our – you can see the lights from our practice field behind me there in the reflection. But you get that practice set up outside with the Kibby on the inside and that great weight room just adjacent to it. Um, but that's an FBS-level facility. And when it was constructed, obviously, that was where it was at. And so it's our job, and we will – we got to get those level recruits in the building. Love it. One last thing for you before we, before we go, Rob, okay. we call this the reversal. We're going to let you ask us any question you want. It can be football related, sports related, life related. Doesn't matter. You can fire away. Brian, do you want to hit the listeners with the ad read while we give coach a couple seconds to think about it? Yeah. Uh, you know, absolutely. And around the bar, it as always is brought to us by Hughes river, Hughes river expedition, which, good Lord, my outline vanished. Hughes River Expedition. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental U.S. located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the main Salmon River No Return, the Salmon River can Canyons, or the Selway. And you can even check out special trips like the one to see the Persed Meteor Shower. Camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take in the history along the river and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring your clothes, let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Hell of a read, Brian. Hell of a read. There are so many damn consonant breaks in that that we have screwed up like 99% of the time. So You're like, uh, you're like Greenberg. You're Greeny over there getting it done. The uh, pristine beaches story is always a fun one. Uh, Which takes two seconds. One time I butchered it and said pristine bitches. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shoot. All right, I got my question. Y'all ready? Fire right. away. So what is the moment game event Uh in, in Vandal football history um, that you're the proudest of? I will take this one first, Brian, because this is a no-brainer for me. I sat about six rows up. I was directly behind all of the Bowling Green uh, coaches' families at the 2009 Humanitarian Bowl. And I have uh, I try to be subdued on the podcast, but I have a very loud, very passionate side of me at football games. And so I spent three and a half hours screaming behind the entire Bowling Green section at the Humanitarian Bowl in 2009. That is my my all-time favorite Vandal football memory. Love it. Brian, what about you? I've got a curveball, which is the first Vandal football game I ever went to was in 1995. It was against University of Montana. That happened to be the year University of Montana won national championship, quarterback by Dave Dickinson. The reason I bring that up as that game up as a proud Vandal moment is I was there with my dad on the Grizz side, watching Idaho become one of two teams to beat Montana that year, Washington State in a you know bye game, cool. then Idaho as the only FCS team to beat that Montana team. I bring that up because I have decided that was the moment that I it, it was destined that I would go to University of Idaho because I definitely grew up in a Montana household. We went to Grizzly basketball, football games where we – if we we're going to watch FCS football, we like when they made the championship games, we, that was an event in our house. Yeah. And quarterback Eric, I saw friend of the show 
was first University of Idaho quarterback I saw play there. And I really am going to say, I don't believe in, um, I don't believe in a lot of like BS destiny kind of stuff, but I'm going to say it was destiny. I came there to root for the Grizz in Moscow and saw Idaho win. That's what made, that's what guaranteed I was going to be a vandal. And side note, the dome was just kick-ass loud in that game. I've heard just tremendous stories about when this place was a rockin' and um, the old days versus Boise. I I got a follow-up question for both you guys, taking over the hosting apparently. Uh, You know, if there's, you look at our schedule next year, you know, we got two FBS games. We got Washington State, Indiana. No, but if you could pick a big sky team for us to go handle next year, you know, what's the game that means the most to you guys? I, I, I assume it's Montana for you, Brian. One, I completely thought about asking you that question, but I thought like, well, I don't know if he's allowed to say if we only win one game. So I want to be, well, no, no, but, not one game. Not yeah. one game, but you're yeah, No, I'm following you. Um, yeah. You know what? I'd probably say Montana because Look, getting back at Eastern for beating us by 500 is a big deal, but Idaho hasn't beat Montana since we moved back to the FCS. We need to get the little Brownstein back. The other thing in terms of both like pride and also like getting more positive media attention because it's earned. We need to show Montana media that, no, dude, you, you guys are getting your ass kicked. So I would say, yeah, yep, being University of Montana is a big one for me. That's an important I'm, one for me like, too. Brian. Montana's a secondary fan team that I do root for when I'm not playing Idaho. So finally beating the shit out of them will be a big deal for me. Right on. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It's the no-brainer one, but I will throw a wild card in there. I would love to go beat the piss out of Idaho State. Little brother has had a couple wins recently, and it's time to shut that down once and for all. And if we could go down there and beat them by 40, I would I would cry. It would be it would be a mess. Tears of joy. I love it. The other thing, one of our listeners, Patrick, just said uh, watching Grizz fans lose is hilarious because though the Grizz are good, though they've got a, you know, energetic fan base, I don't think there is a more thin-skinned, despositionally brittle fan base in FCS football than the Grizz. So not only beating them would be a big deal, but getting to, like, you know, have a few drinks and laugh at the meltdowns on social media would be fantastic. Oh, man, be beautiful and achievable and well within the grasp. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on and everything like that. It's, it, it means a lot to me to have this logo on my chest and be a part of this football family. So um, have me back, man. Excited to be a part of it. Uh, appreciate all the work you're doing. We are definitely going to be assaulting the athletic department with with an attempt to get coaches on after the spring game because a lot of us can't be there. So thanks for coming on. We may try to call your name again. Perfect, man. Go Vandals. We'll see you guys later. Go Draw Borage, everybody. Thank you, Coach. Man, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? That was just – God, that was awesome. Hot take before Dallas and I give our reaction. Any any quick thoughts you have after that interview? I want it to be the fall already. I'm fucking excited. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say, look, Dallas and I, and look, tonally, the show's going to shift hard pretty quickly. But, <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dallas and I have a reputation, and I, I say this because I have had both um, staff members of a certain school and just fans, you know, tell us that we're, Dallas and I are sometimes harsh, which 
I accept that's a take. I reject it. I only bring that up because every single time we talk, like we talk, I felt this way after talking to Jason Neck. I feel it after talking to, to Rob Orich now. I feel like half self-conscious, like, am I becoming a fanboy? Because, like, I'm just stuck. Mm-hmm. I, I love what he talked about, as in, look, he, he soft-pedaled referencing the last year's staff, but he talked about, look, things just have to be different defensively. He made he made schematic references. He also just talked about, hey, it's a new roster. Because, well, like, whatever happened last year, look, bad news. We lose Noah Ellis. We lose Charles Akano. We lose Jonah Kim. But, hey, we have other guys we lost to. It's probably not attrition exactly. But next year's roster, it's a new roster. So not only are we going to get new strategies, which, again, I love the idea of, hey, we need to not get beat deep. But it seemed like he was implying we probably need to not give the 500-yard cushion that uh, let teams march down the field. I love, I, I just love what they're talking about with 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 Vandal football next year. I love the energy he has for the for the defensive end. And by the way, that's the side of the ball we have to get better at if we're going to be beating teams like Montana. If we're going to be teams like Eastern, look, Eastern is in a rebuild next year. If Idaho's going to compete for the playoffs, we have to be able to beat a team like Eastern. So I, I'm all in right now. We will, as the season approaches, have the discussion about um, expectations, which there's no reason for us to have that talk right now. But, dude, again, just like Martin said, wish it was August. Wish I was getting ready to head out to the Drake game. I, yeah, I, I don't have words for how how excited this is. This is we heard coming into this that that. Coach Rob Orich had a personality that was going to be really engaging and really, uh, really welcoming to our fans. Uh, and I do have to shout out uh, our our favorite listener or one of our favorite listeners, Rack of Tits sixty nine, throwing in multiple comments throughout the show about it's okay, Bresky sucked. You can say it. Uh, I couldn't put those comments up on the stream, but it was pretty apparent that Orich was kind of dancing around that, getting into the schematics of. When you put the nickel in uh, at this part of the receiver, or this part of the receiver, it's very easy to tell if it's cover one or three or two or four. Uh, really cool to talk actual schematics with him and and learn a little bit more about the defense. But then just I just love the mentality this guy had. He he had a positive thing to say about every single player and how every single guy was was doing the right things. And it it's all it's all great to hear now. Obviously, we have to wait to see actual results. But right now, man. These these coaches are doing absolutely everything they can to bring excitement, excitement, excuse me. I keep forgetting that excitement back to Vandal football. And it, it's a weird feeling. Like I have like almost butterflies in my stomach of like, holy crap, I'm starting to buy in on this. I'm really going to be hurt if Idaho doesn't like doesn't win more games than they lose this year. Like it's it's crazy to have this this level of excitement. And it, it's it's obviously obviously all starting from the top down. I'm assuming if we can get more coaches on, they're all going to be this same kind of you know, gregarious personality where they're all just excited to be vandals, and it, it's it's a breath of fresh air. Brian, you're muted. Motherfucker. On that note, we are going to transition. This is going to feel like a hard turn, guys. So if you want to put off the vegetables, you better ask pretty good questions pretty damn quick because you have about 12 seconds before we're talking about Vandal basketball. And God, is the men's part going to be 
a little bit different. The countdown in my head is already done. So Idaho heading into last week on the basketball court, three game winning streak. We talked about it last week of, Hey, wins are exciting. Uh, we had to shoot pretty damn good to barely win some games, but fingers crossed that some, that some of that continues. And yeah, that came to a screeching halt when Idaho played Sacramento state. So Sacramento Idaho travels to Sacramento state on Thursday, the worst team in the big sky conference as of Thursday. Idaho loses by only 32 points, 83 to 51. Uh, Mikey Dixon led Idaho with 13 points, but it was on three of 12 shooting, which, I mean, that sounds like a rough number, but it put him in pretty good company. Okay. Before I bring that up, Tanner Christensen did have um, kind of a solid out. He had a solid out in some regards, eight points, 10 rebounds, close to a double, double transition back. Mikey Dixon, three of 12 sounds like a rough field goal percentage, but uh, he had good company. Idaho as a team shot 32.7% from the field while Sacramento state, the worst offensive team in conference play heading into that game shot 57% from the field and 47.4% from three. Idaho then travels to Northern Colorado, who is in the running for finishing second in conference right now. Idaho loses 98 to 94, which sounds like a close game, but it definitely was not a close game. Idaho trailed for by double digits for about 39 of the 40 total minutes. Idaho hit four consecutive late threes to make it close. But there, even though it was a four-point game, the result was never in doubt. This played closer to a 15-point game. Uh, Trevante Anderson did have a career high 32 points on 11 of 17 shooting, picked up nine rebounds, six assists, which is a very nice stat line. Trevante is a lot of the reason why the score itself looks respectable. Rashad Smith also chipped in 22 points on eight of 11 shooting. Uh, the downside being Northern Colorado look fresh off of allowing Sac State to 57% from the field. Idaho allows Northern Colorado to shoot 55.7% from the field and 44% from three. That is how a team like Idaho, who shot 55% from the field and 48% from three, still found a way to lose. So Dallas, before we go into like the overarching story, um, let's just go with a couple of takeaways from those two games. So I have to, to quickly interject here. Um, for the listeners, they didn't see any of this. I just erupted laughing just a moment ago um, because I don't think we hit the point hard enough. Last week, we had an honest discussion about how many wins Zach Kloss needed to keep his job and the theoretical and possible ways for that to happen. And then they lost to the worst team in the conference by 30. Um, I don't think we hammered that home quite hard enough. 32. Idaho has, excuse me, 32, my mistake. Uh, we... We went from the first, what, three-game winning streak in years to losing to the worst team in the conference by an impossibly embarrassing blowout. So something that we should uh, make sure to, to say multiple times here. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it happened. They lost to the worst team in the conference, it, and it wasn't particularly close. Um, man, the... This is just, it's tough. The, 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 this team is, is what we've known it is for quite some time. If they don't shoot the doors off, they don't have a prayer. Uh, Sacramento State and Northern Colorado both had very similar shooting numbers, uh, which not great when you're facing one of the top half teams and then also the worst team in the conference. Uh, 
but Idaho between the two games had a differential of 25% in, in their shooting percentage. It's just, it's unsustainable. If the guys aren't making an exorbitant amount of shots, there's no, there's no hope. Uh, and it, it is what it is at this point. We're just, we're riding out the chain here. Uh, this team, I don't think is going to win anything in conference. Brian, you're, you're muted. Oh, wait, Doss, we made a preposterous number of shots against Northern Colorado. And I have a game. I, did, I don't mean to interrupt you, but this is to drill that point in, which our, our listeners know, regular viewers know, this is the worst defensive team you are going you might see in your entire life. Yep. Our defensive rating, there's 358 teams in Division One basketball. We have the 352nd ranked team in terms of defensive efficiency in the nation. So, look, we're not getting better. But the game. So – I, really quickly to just follow up on that point for anybody that cares about last year's team. We talked about that offense being one of the worst offenses in the history of the sport. And that team was just anemic. That team finished just outside the bottom 10 in offense. This team is about to finish just outside the bottom five in defense. This defense is even worse than last year's offense. Anyways, Brian. Continue. So the game, which is you said, I has to shoot real well to have a chance to win which is correct we've had one win d1 win so far where we shot less than 50 percent offensive rating against sacramento state we had a 71.8 offensive offensive rating you're not going to beat anyone with that and we are the defensive rating we had against sac state was 116.9 which is again they were the worst offensive team in the league we let them look like the golden state warriors the wildest stat line to me or the second wildest stat line we've come across this year is the Northern Colorado game. I have, I want you, first question for you. What our offensive rating was over 120 as a hint against Northern Colorado. One, can you guess what our offensive rating was? And because we lost Northern Colorado had a better offensive rating or we had a worse defensive rating. Can you guess what the Northern Colorado defensive rating was? Did you want me to guess both of them? And you said yep. ours was over 120. Ours was over uh, 120. I'm going to guess ours was a, a crisp 124, and Northern Colorado probably put up about a 138. You were not far off. Idaho had its second best offensive showing of the entire season against Northern Colorado, 128.8 offensive rating. The uh, downside, we had our second worst defensive outing of the season, 134.2 defensive rating. The only worst defensive outing that we have we've had this season is when we gave up 109 to Washington State. Which was close to 150, if I remember correctly. 147.3, yes. As a reference point, listeners, if a team shot a three every single time down the floor and made half of them, that's a 150 offensive rating to surrender. Not great, Bob. Which, look, you you touched on the big takeaways. Um, I do want to spend one minute talking about a kind of positive thing, not needlessly. It's just because it is positive. Um, Trevante Anderson has looked like a different guy in the second half of the conference season. His shooting early on was pretty rough, and it was because he wasn't getting to the rim earlier in the season well enough. So he was having in his mind probably to shoot more contested shots, more jump shots, and jump shots aren't his strength. He's been doing great at getting to the rim for about the second half of the season. He's pumped up his field goal percentage earlier in the year 
about 10 games in, he was close to like 33%. He's over 40% from the field. So he's making, uh, he's converting shots in much better rates. He's getting to the hoop. Um, he's also pushed his scoring up to he's on the season. He's averaging just under 15 points per game. Mikey Dixon's averaging 16.7 points a game on the season. So uh, Trevante, though on the season, he's not our leading scorer. He's actually been our offensive catalyst for probably like the last six or seven games. He's back next year. So that's a, that's a development that's worth noting. We Idaho still has Portland state this coming week and Northern Arizona. We're not going to preview those games, but I guess what Dallas you're, you're going to be at the Northern Arizona game for sure. Tell me what is your, what's your temperature on this team? Look, we, we were cautiously optimistic last week. Where are you now? Um, don't care. That's where I'm at. Uh, I am going to the NAU game just to experience the arena. Uh, at this point, this team wins. Uh, they beat Portland State already once this year. Uh, say they do it again. Northern Arizona is not very good. Let's say they win both of these games. Cool. They're going to get punched in the dick by whoever they play in the first round. It's it, This team is just not good enough to win a, a meaningful game in the postseason. Uh, so for me, I'm just here to ride out the right out the time and go experience that phenomenal, phenomenal new arena once and try to take away from, you know, like, like you said, Trevante's coming back next year. I'm assuming, uh, or I'm assuming he'll come back. I'm assuming he won't transfer. Uh, Tanner Christensen, I would assume he'll be back. Like I'm looking for some of the guys that have been, have been good, solid contributors these last few weeks. I'm just going to be looking to see how they do and dreaming of what they're going to look like in a, better coached system uh, at this point that's that's all i can that's all i can hope for uh, at this point i mean even even hoping that they catch fire and they shoot 50% from 3 in the tournament game that that doesn't guarantee a win most teams it would idaho's just it's just it's i don't see it in the cards uh, this is just a hey let's let's enjoy we've got three more games of basketball this year let's try to enjoy them uh, and then the veggies are done and we can go back to spring football yeah, Portland State's seven and two in their last nine games. Yeah. They're nine and nine in conference. They've turned it around. At this point, if the season ended today, that's who we'd play in the first round of the tournament. If we beat Northern Arizona, that's a way to move our seeding up. But right now, Idaho's tenth in conference. Um, we've just look. We we've talked about where we're at. Uh, again, this team has some good scores. Like you know, Rashad Smith had an, had another great game against Northern Colorado. But defensively, it's embarrassing. Like, And this is a mix of, you can say some of this is defensive effort, but we have a preposterously bad strategy as we're purging live listeners talking about this team. Um, no, Idaho is just not going. We're worse defensively now than we're at the start of the season. If you need to know anything else about the coaching staff, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I think this is fine to shift over now to women's basketball, which is moving in the opposite direction of the men's because Martin – I believe now is that I think the women's team is around five, five wins in a row. Five and in a row. Yep. Women's team, completely different story. They had three games. Thank you COVID for letting us make games up. Uh, first game. This would be a Thursday game. Correct. Martin. Yep. Uh, yeah. Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. Thursday, Saturday, Monday was the uh, rotation. So, uh, Idaho women play Sacramento State in Moscow, pull off a 73 to 68 win. By the way, just like um, Northern Arizona, 
the Sacramento State women's team is better in the league than their men's team is. So Sacramento State was a, a solid win, a win Idaho needs for their postseason position. Beyonce B, Beyonce B leads us with 25 points, nine rebounds. Tiana Johnson at 17.7 rebounds. Louise Forsyth, 12.6 rebounds. Saturday, Northern Colorado travels to Idaho. Idaho wins 88 to 79. Sydney Gandy leads us with leads Idaho 22 points, eight assists. Beyonce B adds 21 points, 10 rebounds. Then Portland State, kind of like the men's team. Portland State in Moscow, so three in a row in ICCU. Idaho narrowly holds on for a 35 point win over top five Portland State, 64 to 39. Beyonce B adds 11 points, 14 rebounds. Tiana Johnson, 9 points, 12 rebounds. Elise Forsyth, 15 points, 6 rebounds, which means Idaho now has won five in a row with two, two games to close out the regular season at Portland State at NAU. At NAU. Martin, this team looks like they're around the corner right in time for the tournament. Mm-hmm. They are around the corner. They are, click, they are starting to click at the – Right time right now. It is a complete 180. If you were to ask me about this team at the beginning of the year, but beginning the beginning of 2022, I would have been a a little nervous, Nelly, if you will, a little negative about this team. But they've completely done a 180 on this season, unlike the men's team, and have done have improved as the season got on. They have made the right changes. They have started to click, and they are beating. They're not making the mistake they are sorry I'm trying, they are not making the mistakes that they made at the beginning of the year now they have learned from those earlier mistakes they have oh shit uh just keep going you're good dude uh, yeah yeah so it's just but it's been it's just been a complete 180 on this year this like i was thinking like if they wanted any shot at all they have shown they have any all momentum but it is it's just been a great it's just been a complete Oh shit! Well, we're just going live with this now. So it has been a complete 180 on the season. Uh, 180. They have 180. They have. They have just turned it on in this these past five games. They have. They have shown just they can play with anybody. They can beat anybody. And the Portland State game, I think, was kind of a. I don't know if microcosm is the right word to use, but like it kind of was a show of the season where they started off slow. It, like the score is not indicative of how this game they I know Portland State was actually leading at the end of the first quarter. I want to say 15-14. Yeah, 15-14. And then they just turned it on and they just never let off the gas the entire way. It was a it just like I said, the Discord, it was a complete it was just a complete Complete turnaround. They and Beyonce B didn't score until I think it was like 15 minutes left in the third. Not 15 minutes left. 15 minutes left in the game. It was she was cold. And if it was against any other team, Idaho probably would have lost. Let's be real about this. But they got lucky against. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm sorry. They are not top five. They are, I think 0 and 16 in conference. But it just was a complete 180 on the team this year, and they were or they showed up, and they was able. It was the most. Com- Kind of dub- doubling back again. Northern Colorado, they most complete games the year. Like every each each of the five starters played well, contributed enough, and it just was a good, good team game. 
yeah, that's all I got for the team so far. I, Sorry. Different for men, Idaho's women have played themselves into contention for a first round bye in the Big mm-hmm. Sky tournament. Right now, Idaho's women are in a three way tie for the fifth place spot. Idaho looks to be on the outside looking in of that by the three-way ties with Sacramento State, who's 10 and 8, Northern Arizona, 10 and 8 in conference, Idaho, 10 and 8 in conference. So this week, Idaho took care of business and what they could do. They needed Sac State, Idaho needed Sac State to go down a game. Idaho got the win. Idaho gets to play Northern Arizona this week. Idaho lost Northern Arizona this week as earlier in the year as well. So a win here would move Idaho up and it would improve Idaho's overall record in a theoretical tie break. Right now, Idaho is seated seventh in the Big Sky Conference tournament, but getting getting into that five spot absolutely is still on the table for this team, Martin, which I don't I don't think you would have believed that let's say six games in a conference season. Oh, absolutely not. I would have thought they probably would have been in that eight, nine spot right now, kind of just to where things were trending at the beginning of the year. It was a very much, I thought they were going to be one game, maybe to lose to Idaho state in the second round, but now they are playing themselves into a more easier path to get to the final than it was the beginning of the year. Yeah, the determining factor, if there's any sort of tie between those three teams, is first between Idaho, Sacramento State, and Northern Arizona women is head-to-head record of those three teams against each other. Idaho really needs to pick up a win against Northern Arizona to close out the season. That would bring Idaho's record against Sacramento State Northern and Northern Arizona up to 2-2. Two and two. I, full disclosure, did not look up the Sac State record against the two teams or the Northern Arizona record against the two teams. But realistically, it's probably not going to be three-way tie because Idaho plays Portland state who has zero league wins this Wednesday and then closes their season out on Friday against Northern Arizona. So the only in theory, if things play out, Idaho needs to win that last game of the season. The only real question then is the tie break between Sacramento state and Idaho. If we get there, which Idaho State, Idaho Sacramento State split the season series, which means from there the tiebreaker is how, what are the season records of Idaho and Sac State against the number one seed in the conference, Idaho State, and then to Montana State if the, I if forget. For that stuff, is it, and this is one that I, I should know this off the top of my head, but is it one of those where if, say, they're both 0 2, it just goes down, it just keep, they just keep going Correct. down? Okay. Correct. Which means there's like 900 scenarios we have not got. But what listeners can care about, our women can still get into the top five. Mm-hmm. And not the Portland State top five, where you're just top five, but it means you suck. Idaho absolutely could play themselves into, into a five seed in the conference tournament, which relative to how the season started out is uh, pretty incredible. We have some research going on in the background, but... So, uh, breaking news... Sacramento State has a win against Idaho State, so Idaho would lose the tiebreaker to Sacramento State. Let's go Montana schools. <laughs> okay, so Idaho just needs Idaho needs Sacramento State to lose. Yeah, we need to win out. Sacramento State needs to win out. We need to just Sacramento State to lose. You lose, lose out. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't have much else to add. We're at an hour ten. Dallas, it could be a ritual. Do you, you've been on the shelf for a little bit in this women's section. Anything you want to bring up before we call it a night? 
Uh, same thing I brought up earlier. Three more games, gentlemen. That's 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 it. Hey, now. There could be more. For well, the Dallas women's team, been, yes. Well, Dallas, you got to specify. I'm going to speak to existence. <laughs> Sorry, I'll go back to... Uh, I'm bringing us back to Veggie Talk. Three more games, people. That's 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 it. Uh, three more games, and we expect the ripcord to be pulled. And as we've seen in, in the Big Sky Conference, turnarounds don't have to take four or five years, uh, especially in basketball. So there are brighter days on the horizon. Uh, obviously, the women's team... Uh, has made a, an incredible turnaround just in the last half of the season. Uh, the the men are probably not going to turn around in the three games, fingers crossed. But um, there's more of a chance that the Rams win the next five Super Bowls in a row. Oh God, I can't believe I didn't bring this up. And this is now our ritual: three weeks in a row, men's basketball, women's basketball, yank it back to men's basketball. In th- <laughs> okay, Dallas. Question for you: another game. And hey, Martin. Uh, you're you're playing this game too. If you we're just talking about wins right now, just conference wins. If you combined all three of Zach Kloss's Big Sky seasons, all the wins from those three combined, don't think about losses, just wins. What place would Idaho be in conference this year alone, combining all three of Zach Kloss's Big Sky conference seasons? Dallas, you first. Martin, you're second. Uh, I'm going to say they would be sixth place in the conference. So you do not think if we combine all the wins from three years, Idaho would have a first round by in the Big Sky Conference tournament? I do not believe so, no. Racket hit uh, 69 said fifth place. Martin, what place? And you better not have looked this up. Uh, I'll go seventh. You absolutely looked this up. But, I did uh, not. <laughs> anyway, Racket hits way too optimistic, way too a fifth good one. No, if Idaho would have 10 wins. If we combine those three seasons together, that would be good for seventh. Wait, oh my God, I lied. It was sixth. So is only off by one. Martin, you didn't look it up. I would be in this place right now. We would be just above nine and nine Eastern Washington and nine and nine Portland State, but we would be below 11 and seven Montana. So Idaho would be on the outside looking in. So Dallas is right. We would be number six, but that's of course that's across three years, guys. Uh, we were told we've brought it up. We've said we're our understanding is class has to get to twelve games. Only way to get to, get to twelve wins. Only way to get to twelve wins is win out in the regular season and win two games in the conference tournament. And Idaho has one win away from ICCU the entire season. So uh, I think that's a wrap. We're gonna call the night, guys. Thanks everyone for coming. Thanks Rob Orich for coming on. Thanks for thanks to our listeners for sending questions. Uh, with particular note, uh, Taylor Cash and Brian Stith both sent us a good amount of questions that helped us out. So thanks everyone for coming along for the ride. And as always, when after Col- Colby Cuff plays us out, we're all saying the same thing: Go Vandals! Go Vandals! Go Vandals! So raise your glass and have a drink with me. Here's to the vandals in the crowd. I'll just out there living the dream. Part of one and only Moscow drinking tea.